Have you ever said something you wish you could take back? That as those words fly out of your mouth, all you want to do is pull them back in, but they're already out and you can't get them back in because they've already been heard. Maybe to a spouse, maybe to a child, maybe to your boss. And as soon as they leave your mouth, you get panicked and you wish that you could just start over. Well, that's what that song's referring to with bullets coming out. You can't put them back. And then once we release them, they're out there and we have to be so careful with that. And as we are in this series called God Talk, we are looking at the idea of how we talk about God and we don't want it to be those instances where we can't get it back. And maybe that's been you. Maybe you've had some conversations about God where you wish that you could go back and fix what you said, but you already put it out there and it's too late. And now the damage has been done. And so what we can do from here on out is, is start to reevaluate how we talk about God so maybe that happens less and maybe we are more engaged And we are going to be continuing today talking about that. If I haven't met you, my name is Ryan. I'm pastor of Adult Ministries here. I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. And I wanted to start off by sharing a story with you because we are wrapping up baseball season. Did anybody make it all 18 innings on Friday night? The longest game in World Series history. It was boring until the 18th inning. And then it was awesome. But 18 innings. And baseball is one of those sports that as a child that I grew up with, it was the sport that I played with. And it was one that my older brother really took ownership of teaching me. He's five years older than me. His name's Chris. And when he was in seventh grade and I was in second grade, uh, we would play baseball all the time in our backyard. And it was 28 years ago this spring that I committed my first and only violent act with a baseball bat. 28 years ago, we were playing baseball on a beautiful Washington day. And by beautiful Washington day, that means it's partly cloudy and still raining. And we were in our backyard and we were playing with our neighbor kids. Our neighbor kids were uh, Adam and Jeff. Adam was my brother's age. He was in seventh grade also, and Jeff was my age. It was a perfect pairing. It was my brother and I versus Adam and Jeff. But Adam was a giant, genetically modified monster of a seventh grader, 12 years old. And Adam was big, tall, and let's say festively plump. And Adam knew that to win, he had to hit a home run. And my brother was pitching. And Adam had one strike on him, and I was catching, and my brother threw the pitch, and Adam swung. Strike two. Adam's getting ticked. My brother gets the ball back and throws another pitch, catches Adam swinging again. Strike three, and we won. Now, in neighborhood baseball, if you've ever seen movies like The Sandlot, like neighborhood baseball is ownership of your neighborhood, that you have just won, you are victorious, you get the bragging rights. Well, Adam knew that, and Adam was ticked, and Adam was a big boy, and Adam looked at the baseball bat in his hand, he looked at my brother, and he grabbed it as tight as he could, and then he threw the bat right back at my brother. Bat goes rotating through the air, and the handle clips my brother's ear and slices it open. Starts bleeding, and he's grabbing his ear, kind of freaking out a little bit. 
But Adam is not done. He charges the mound and he goes and he starts to get into my brother's face and starts pushing my brother and getting all aggressive, yelling at him, cussing at him because he had lost. And I did something that, well, I felt I should do. I went up behind Adam. I picked up the baseball bat off the ground and I swung as hard as I could and I racked him right across the shoulders with the baseball bat. Now Adam paused, stunned, and he turned and he looked and he backhanded me and he threw me across the yard with his backhand and I landed on the ground and that's all I remember of the story. Not because I blacked out, that's just literally all I remember of this story. Now I'm curious in that story because I'm getting different facial expressions all across the room. Some of you are laughing and smiling, some of you are glaring and some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. I want to know what your response to my story is because there's a purpose behind it. How did you receive my story? So here's how we're going to do that. We are going to take a poll. So if you have your cell phone, pull it out. And what you're going to do, it's okay, don't worry. God doesn't smite people who use cell phones in the auditorium on a gathering. Okay, pull it out, text Lakeside to 23, or sorry, 22333. Text Lakeside to 22333. That will register you. And then what we're going to do is you're going to have four options to choose from for your response to the story. How did you view my story? I told you, and it's all true. My story is true. You could verify. My dad was here last night, and he, he could verify it for you, that it is true. So here are your responses, possible responses. I narrowed it down to four. The first is this, A. A is, what an amazing demonstration of brotherly love. What an amazing demonstration of brotherly love that I was willing to sacrifice my well-being to take care of my brother. Because you know that there's only one person who's allowed to mess with your siblings. Who is it? You. That's the only person that gets to mess with your siblings. And so this was a demonstration of my brotherly love. The next one, B, Ryan is dangerously violent. Why did we hire him? You can take that up with Brad or Sean. But if that's your response, text B. C is Ryan could have really hurt that kid. Okay? Mom's in the room, that's letter C. That's the one that you want to go with. And D, nothing like some good slapstick comedy. Those are your four responses. I'm curious as to maybe how you process my story. So we're going to go, you can keep texting in, but I, we're going to kind of see the results coming in live here for a second. So we can go ahead and put those up and see what we've got. Wow, you guys are super gracious. <laughs> An amazing demonstration of brotherly love, 54, 52. Oh, it's decreasing. Here we go. Ryan is dangerously violent. Why did we hire him? Oh my gosh. Last night, that only got to like 6%. You guys are, oh, here we go. I think it's all the tech booth. Uh, all right, Ryan really could have hurt that kid. You guys are not empathic at all. And so 8% and nothing like some good slapstick comedy, 4%. Now, Valid responses. Some of you are very concerned, obviously. But there are some things we need to understand when we look at stories and how we process them. Because each of you in this room viewed that story through a particular lens. And your lenses vary, but your lens could have been that you've been hit with a baseball bat before. 
And so you know what that feels like, and that influences the way that you respond to that story. Or maybe you've seen a loved one hurt before by someone else, and that's your lens, and that's how you view the story, and you see what was going on. Maybe you know the frustration of getting struck out in baseball, and so you sympathize with Adam, and you process and view the story in that way. Or maybe you know how important it is to have neighborhood victory rights as a kid, and that's how you process that story. Whatever it is, you all have lenses, and I have lenses, and that's how you viewed the story through. But the problem is that our lenses are often things we're unaware of, and they prevent us from going further into the story to find a more accurate understanding of it. So what if I told you, would it change your result if I told you that the baseball bat that I hit Adam with was a wiffle ball bat? Would that change how you respond to the story? Would it change how you respond to the story if I told you that when that baseball bat hit my brother, it was really a scratch and there was hardly any blood, but as a seven-year-old kid, what I saw was something way more extreme, even though the reality was quite different. Would it change the way that you respond if maybe when Adam backhanded me while I was seven and tiny and I felt like I flew through the air, it was really probably more like I just fell over? See, there are all sorts of variables that go into understanding a story, but so often our lenses prevent us from going further into the story to unpack what the story really intends. And so we just stop at this surface level and we just accept what's on the very top and we don't dig deeper into the story and ask questions. And this is nothing new. This is not something that is just part of our culture. In the ancient Near East, this was common as well. In fact, in the Bible, we have an encounter where Jesus is calling out some religious leaders for not going further in their understanding of the story. And what we have to learn is that in any story, we have lenses. And when we read God's story, a lot of times our lenses inform how we view God's story, just as these religious leaders were influenced by their own lenses. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 5. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders, and they are upset with him, which tends to be kind of the usual MO within the New Testament. And these religious leaders have a particular lens that they have viewed the whole concept of God through. The whole story of God has been informed by these lenses. In John 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus calls them out, and he says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You study the scriptures diligently because in them you think you have eternal life. Jesus is saying, but you're missing the point of the story. The story's pointing to me. And these aren't some kind of new kids on the block to the scriptures. These are the religious leaders. They've spent their lives studying the scriptures. They've unpacked them. They've dived into them and and really sought to understand them. But what they didn't realize is they have lenses that are informing the way in which they understand the scriptures and it's preventing them from seeing what God's story is truly about. 
You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they expected the Messiah to look a particular way and come in a particular way and act in a particular way. They felt that it was going to be more of a military leader that was going to overthrow the oppressive rule of Rome, freeing them from their oppression and lead them into becoming this prominent nation that they are supposed to be. And they believed that if only Israel could keep all 613 laws of the Old Testament, that then the Messiah would come, just for one day. So 24-hour period, keep all 613 laws of the Old Testament. Can you imagine? Do you think that's possible? Maybe. I I, I would be willing to bet um, that on your way to church this morning, most of you broke the law. Now, maybe not our American law, but I bet even in this room, there are people who have broken at least one of the 613 laws of the Old Covenant. You want to know how I know? Well, let's say, um, anybody rocking polyester this morning? It's okay, it's back in style. Don't worry about it. If you are, sinner. You're not supposed to wear clothing of mixed fiber. Did uh, anybody maybe uh, eat, I don't know, some uh, shrimp last night? Sinner. Why? Because you're not supposed to eat shellfish in the Old Covenant. Maybe you woke up this morning and you had bacon. Come on. Any bacon fans in the room? Oh, we need to have a whole class on the, the glory of bacon in this church. Come on. There's a reason God created bacon and held off for hundreds and, and a couple thousand years of giving it. It's called delayed gratification. It is amazing. But if you had bacon, you broke the law. You see, there's so many nuanced laws in the Old Testament. The Pharisees believed we have to keep all of these and the Messiah will come. And the Messiah will free us. And that understanding of Scripture influenced the way they told God's story in their context. Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders were essentially the holiness police. And they would walk around and they would tell people all about God and share God's story. But basically it was, don't break the law. Don't tick off God. Do all these things to make yourself righteous before God. Because their understanding was viewed in light of keeping all of the law. And that's what they felt needed to happen. That was their lens. And Jesus is saying, you've completely missed the point. You've completely missed the point. And what that tells us about our God talk is that God talk necessitates going further. God talk necessitates going further because a superficial reading doesn't cut it. We have to dive in because in reality, there is nothing more dangerous than a lazy reading of scripture in God's story. Because a lazy reading of scripture doesn't go for what God wants us to understand. It goes for what is easy. And if you've read the Bible, you probably understand that it's not easy. It's confusing at times. It's hard to process at times. There are things that that maybe we can't reconcile at times and things that we struggle with. But if we keep diving into scripture and wrestling with it, we're going to find that the story is far more beautiful than what we expect. 
And it's far more interesting and far more curious. I want to give you a quick example. In Matthew 5, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he goes through and he starts teaching all of these amazing thoughts and practices about following God. And he gets to this one point, you might be familiar with it, in Matthew 5, 38, where he says that if a man strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. He says, do not resist an evil person, but let them strike you on the other cheek, which comes from the common phrase, turn the other cheek, right? Now, a superficial reading of that would lead us to believe that, well, it's just all about, hey, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek, don't hit back. But that's only part of the teaching. To understand the true intention of what Jesus is talking about here, to understand what God's story is communicating to us in this point, we have to go a little further. And there's something to understand, that in the ancient Near East, you would only strike someone with your right hand. You would only hit someone with your right hand. It was common practice. It was actually uh, part of their code of ethics, so to speak. Do you want to know why? They didn't have modern plumbing. And so in ancient Near East cultures, when you went to the bathroom, what was your left hand used for? It was your toilet paper. And so you would only use your right hand to eat with to interact with because your left hand was unclean. It was dirty. It was used for one practice and one practice only. And so you would strike someone. If you're going to strike them, you would strike with your right hand. Now to hit someone with their right cheek, you would have to backhand them, which is a demeaning strike. It's a less than strike. It is saying you are not as valuable or worth as much as I am. And so you would strike them backhand. You are less than me. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, if you turn the other cheek, it means you're exposing your left cheek. But you can't backhand a left cheek. You have to forehand a left cheek. And a forehand strike is communicating we are equals. So in order to hit me, you have to recognize that I am equal to you. I am as human as you. I hold as much value as you. And so Jesus is not saying in this moment, just simply passively let yourself get beat up. He is saying, humanize yourself and humanize those around you. Now that's a far more interesting and beautiful understanding of that story than simply, hey, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek and let them beat you up. Do you agree? Maybe, maybe not. For me, that brings a whole new significance to that because it brings the humanity of what Jesus is doing into play. It's telling him that you are equal, you are beautiful, you are created in God's image, so make sure that everyone treats you in that way and stand up for that. You see, when we just go a little further into God's story, we find all sorts of new things to communicate about who God is in our God talk. And I believe that if we can do three simple things, that it will help us to understand God talk even better because we are informed more from God's scriptures. The first thing is this, and it's fairly simple. We must remove our lenses We must remove our lenses. And lenses is plural there because none of us have a singular lens that we view scripture through. 
We have multiple lenses. If you are male, that's a lens. If you are female, that's a lens. If you are wealthy, that's a lens. If you are poor, that's a lens. If you grew up in California, that's a lens. I grew up in Oregon, that's definitely a lens. It is all over the place. And as soon as you remove one, you're going to see that there's another lens that comes up that you're going to have to remove in order to get to where you are engaging Scripture the way God intended it. Think of it in this way. If you've ever gone and gotten an eye exam, and they sit you in a chair, and then they bring this giant, like, man-in-the-iron-mask thing over your face, and they put it there, and they put all the lenses in front of your eyes, and they say, okay, which one's better, A or B? A or B? And they do it, like, 50 times, and you're like, I don't know the difference. But imagine all those lenses put in front of you, in front of your eyes, and you remove one. There's still lenses there, and you have to start hitting all the switches and removing all the lenses each and every day as a practice in order to get to the place where we are engaging God's story how he intended. Because what we have to understand is Scripture is written by particular people to particular people in particular places, at particular times, for particular purposes. That doesn't mean Scripture is irrelevant to us. It means that to find the relevancy to us, we go to where it was written. And we engage it from that perspective. If you read Paul's letters, it doesn't say, Paul's letter to Lakeside Church in Folsom, California in 2018. It'll say, to the churches in Galatia, I'm writing to you. And so, to truly understand what God intends for us to take away from that story, we need to go back and understand Galatia. And what was the purpose there? And then we can start to be informed about God's story in a healthy way, in a way that informs our God talk and leads us to a place that we are communicating correctly about God. The next thing I think we need to understand is that we need to understand it's okay to wrestle with Scripture. It's okay to struggle that it's okay to wrestle with God's story. We aren't always going to understand or comprehend everything about it. But for some reason, a lot of times we think that we can't ask questions. And we can't ask why. How many parents do we have in the room? It doesn't, doesn't matter what stage. You've either been there or you're going to go there in this stage. And this is what I call the why stage. And the why stage occurs usually from about three to, I'm hoping, about seven, because I have a six-year-old right now. And the why stage is this. You are constantly asked why about anything and everything. And over and over again, it's why, 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 why. Now, you have a choice. You either engage the why or you default to the lazy response, which is, because I said so. Now, because I said so doesn't respond to the why, it just kind of diverts the why. But if we engage the question, it's amazing where it will go. Liam is my oldest. He's six right now. But when he was about four years old, I was driving him to his nanny's one day, and I was heading into the office. And so it's about a 10-minute drive from our house to our nanny. And he was in the why stage. And so I decided, I'm going to engage the why. And I will answer every why between our house and our nanny's house. We started off with a why about juice. By the time, 10 minutes later, that we pulled into our nanny's driveway, we had reached the fall of man. 
in the conversation because the why just led us on this journey to where all of a sudden I'm answering these questions and I can only explain that, well, sorry, Bubba, but sin entered the world because of this and this is why. And he's like, I don't get it, dad. I'm like, well, that's okay. I'm just answering the why. But the why led to this beautiful journey and this fun conversation that created a memory that allowed us to engage. And if we do that with scripture, the same thing's going to happen. We start asking why or what or how, and it's going to lead us on this journey of understanding scripture. And it makes scripture far more curious, far more mysterious, far more beautiful and fun because we are engaging with the text. Maybe you've heard this statement. I, I heard this statement a lot growing up, and I believe that it's always been said with good intentions, but I believe that it's kind of misinformed, and it's this. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, I, I think that's said with good intentions, but here's the problem. That statement is the equivalent of because I said so. It doesn't engage God's story to inform our God talk. It just shuts down conversation rather than engaging with the why. What's the why? What's the how? What's the where? And so wrestle with it. Argue with it. Engage with it. In the New Testament, the Jews had a practice, the rabbis, it's called midrash. And midrash means basically that you are scrutinizing scripture. It was the process of scrutinizing scripture to gain an accurate interpretation. And so they would ask all sorts of questions of scripture. They would wrestle with the story and ask questions and they would put it under scrutiny. Now you may be thinking, hold on, we can't scrutinize scripture. I mean, this is inspired by God, but here's the reality. If you feel that you can't scrutinize scripture, your view of scripture is too low because this can withstand your why. This can withstand your what? This can withstand your arguments against it because if we unpack it more, we see that God is taking us on this journey, on this story and informing us about who he is. And all we have to do is go a little further and we can engage it more and more and we start to participate in midrash where we interpret scripture because we have engaged it and put it under scrutiny to find what God intends for us. The last thing I think we should do is, uh, or understand is this, that we need to understand the fullest view of God is Jesus. That when we look at God's story and ask, what's the story telling us? The culmination of that story is that to see God look at Jesus. And that that informs everything that we say about God. Have you ever wondered how there are some people in this world who profess to believe in Jesus, but their version of God is so much different than the Jesus that you encounter in Scripture? It's because they're not allowing Jesus to be the fullest view of who God is. They're not looking at God's story and interpreting it through the lens of Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do. You see, Jesus in John chapter 14, he says this, verses 9 through 11 talking to Philip. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is the fullest view of God, the clearest picture. It's important to have that lens on because if we're talking to people about God, if we're engaging in God talk, and what we're communicating about God doesn't look like Jesus, then we need to go back and wrestle some more. We need to struggle some more. We need to go and look at Scripture and go further because Jesus is the fullest image of who God is. And that is so important. Because you are going to encounter people who are going to struggle in areas that maybe you don't struggle with. You're going to encounter people whose views of God have been distorted by the lenses that they've encountered growing up. Maybe they grew up with a more fundamentalist view of God, an oppressive God, an angry God. You're going to encounter people whose views of God have been influenced by the way in which they were treated by other Christians. And so they view God in a particular light because of those things. And you can't remove other people's lenses for them, but you can remove your lens so what you communicate about God is informed by God's story from the healthiest place so that you are giving your God talk the best platform to reach people and participate in God's mission. And you may be wondering, how do we do this? You know, it's kind of one of those things where you, you look at it and you're like, well, that's great. You know, you tell this story about in scripture how turn the other cheek has this deeper significance. And well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to approach that. I'm not like you pastor types who have many leather bound books in your office that you can read through and figure out how things work. What do I do? Here's your starting point. Here's my starting point whenever I read the scriptures is I simply read and I ask questions. I engage what I'm reading in God's story and I write down every question that I can. I go through about a Bible a year with questions and I just write them all over the place and then I seek to find whatever answers I can. And I go and I ask people way smarter than me I ask people from different traditions than me. I read and I start to unpack. You see, the whole point is God's story leads us on a journey. And it's not just the journey in here, but it's in a journey of discovery. And that journey of discovery is going to take you in places you never thought you would encounter. But you have to remember that you need to go further. You have to remember simple things that reminds you that there's more to the story that will inform your God talk. So remember the bat. The bat that, without asking the right questions, you would have thought that I hit Adam with a metal bat right between the shoulder blades. That the bat needed more unpacking to understand the story. Our God talk is informed by the way we understand the story. So make sure that you are unpacking what is the bat. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so gracious and loving. That you invite us into a journey to discover who you are. 
a journey that is mysterious and adventurous, that is difficult and trying, a journey that ultimately, Lord, draws us nearer to you. God, I ask that you help us to identify what our lenses are. Help us to see what's influencing the way that we understand you and engage you so that we can remove those lenses and draw ever nearer to you. Help our God talk to be informed by a bright and beautiful understanding of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.